0: This morning, uh, it's a topical message. Uh, We're going to look at Acts and a bunch of other scriptures. Uh, But the title, if you want to take mental note, is called Enter In. Enter In. And we'll look at a couple parts of Acts chapter 2. But I want to open with a couple of other verses this morning, uh, starting with Isaiah 26.2. It says, Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. And Luke 11:52 says Jesus says he says woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge you did not enter in yourselves and those who were entering in you hindered Jesus had a lot of harsh words for the people in the temple and who really contained the reins of the Jewish uh, uh, tradition Hebrews 3:18-19 Paul says I believe it was Paul who was the writer of Hebrews and he says to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but those who did not obey, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And the, since the beginning, God has wanted to spend time with us. That we saw even in that tabernacle video, that the point was God wanted to dwell with them. And in the garden, that's all God wanted to do with Adam and Eve. He said, don't eat from that tree. But every day, he said that in the cool of the day, he came and he spent time with them. And that's why you remember that after they ate and they were hiding themselves, hiding themselves in their shame, he had to call out to them. He said, Adam, where are you? But that's what God wanted to be with us. But sin separated us. Sin got them out of the garden. Sin is what separated us. Sins was separated the people from God in the tabernacle. I remember Moses and the Israelites, when God wanted to meet with them, the Mount Sinai, that the mountain was covered in smoke, that it was terrifying to the people. And in a sense, the people didn't want to go. God had said, you know, come to a certain point, but they were afraid to even go to that certain point they wanted Moses to go in their stead to meet with him and that there was really there was sin and I believe unbelief in their hearts and that it prevented them from going to meet with God and God wanted nothing to prevent them to go and meet with him God came down from heaven and rested on this mountain that they might meet with him but while Moses was getting the 10 commandments you remember they made idols and they worshiped. They worshiped the golden calf. And Moses came down as the first one, as it's been said, to break the Ten Commandments, right? He broke them all. And he made them, uh, the best part is he made them drink it. <laughs> That's a rough one. But they were brought out of Egypt by God, but they refused to go meet with him once he had brought them out. And they wanted someone else to do it for them. I remember as a kid going to McDonald's with my mom and she would say, go up there and tell them what you want. Here's the money. You know, it's probably $5, $5. Probably would have gotten changed back back then as it won't now. But I was afraid to go up there. I was afraid to go talk. Like this person at the counter whose whole job it was, was to meet with me and get my order and give me my food. Somehow was going to bite my head off. But eventually I'd go up there. And I've, my kids are much braver than me. They go up and they ask. When we were at the gun show last time, they went up and got Gatorades. Hey, Mia. Mia? Yeah. Can you run outside and just shut that screen door? The wind's blowing it. It doesn't like to stay shut. Uh, That's a whole other story right there. (laughs) Uh, But this was really the heart of God that he wants to meet with us. I'll get out of your way in case anyone needs to get over there. Uh, But it would take more than a law and a sacrificial system to do it. As we saw in the video, that the whole point of that was the point to Jesus coming. And that Jesus was the one whose blood would be sprinkled in God. That Jesus is the mercy seat for us that we can meet with him. And as we saw, you know, I'm not much one to make a five-point message, but there are five different sections we'll look at today. And the first one is the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And I I bring this up because I think it tees up something for us important to hear about God's heart today and how we come to Him. You know, my my wife and I were talking about something the other day, and we've been praying about stuff, uh, and I think the Lord kind of reminded me of the tabernacle in it as we were discussing it. So that's part of what we're going to look at today in that video. We saw, we're not going to get into all the detail the ordinances and everything. Um, that's, you know, multiple studies and something that I don't want to get lost in the weeds on today. But in Exodus 25, 1 and 2 and 8 and 9, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Right away, God's saying, I'm not forcing anyone to come to worship me. I'm saying, Come and worship me and come willingly. And he goes on and says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, this is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. That God had a prescribed order for how they were to do these things, that the New Testament says that these were a shadow of things to come, that these represent greater spiritual truths in the sense that they're objects of, uh, of, of how to go through and worship in that day. But most of all, the tabernacle was meant as a place for God to live among the people. In the diagram that the kids are coloring, you see all the tents of the Israelites around the tabernacle. So it was God's tent and everyone else's tents around them. That God wanted to be right there in the middle of his people. They didn't need to go off to somewhere else. They didn't need to, to, to build something of their own design. God said, this is how I want you to do it. And the point was that God wanted to come down and live with them. Not so much he wanted them to come up and find him and find a way to meet him. Like the Tower of Babel, people trying to exalt themselves as God. But he wanted to be with them. But he had to have this system of the tabernacle and of dealing with sin and uh, the tents and the veil because sin hadn't been dealt with at the cross yet. And so in order for the people not to be utterly destroyed by his presence and his holiness, remember Moses had to hide his face. And even then only God showed the train of his robe to him. He saw the backside of God going by. And even then Moses always glowed, right? He came out looking like he drank a glow stick every time he went up to spend time with God. Because it would have destroyed them. God's holiness would have absolutely destroyed the people and their sin. And that's the last thing God wanted. So God said, I'm going to come and I want to be with you. But we have to have this sort of protective lead barrier against my holy radiation, so to speak. But it provided a way into God's presence. And it provided a way in time before his son Jesus would make it possible by fulfilling the sacrificial system. Jesus says he fulfilled the law. Right? He took the commandments and he fulfilled them for us. And the tabernacle points to this. Points to it with the outer court, going to the, the holy place, going to the most holy place. That you had to deal with sin in the outside. You received the things of God with the, the prayer and the bread and the, and the menorah. And then finally, he would go into the actual presence of God in the holy place. And the, only the high priest could go there once a year. And if you remember, if uh, he didn't do it right, or there's a sin of the people that wasn't dealt with, he would die and they'd have to drag him out. Think about that. How many people would go into the ministry if when you went into the ministry and you went into the back to seek the Lord and what he might say? You could die and he could pull you out. You know, that's a, that's a tough one. I think maybe we might need a little bit of that holy fear in us these days. But I think at least in many churches that I've seen, and I haven't seen too many, but I believe that we come into the outer court and we go through the rituals there. We come in, we come into the tent of God, so to speak. We say, okay, let me, let me ask for forgiveness. Let me go about the rituals, the stand up, the sit down, the, the tithe, whatever it is. But we expect someone else to come out to us and tell us the things of God. And that's okay. The pastor's job and the leader's job is to share the word of God with the people. But the point is, is that we would all enter in. That it's not just the pastor going in. That what comes out is that we're free to go into the presence of God. And even in churches that are clearing, clearly doing some type of priesthood, and other churches you would say are the least religious, I'm sure you could still find in there, And some of them, if they're not... I don't know how to say it. If they're not seeking the presence of God, it turns into a religion. It turns into a priesthood, whether the person is called a priest or not. And I think there's even others that in some rightful way want everyone to come in, want everyone to experience the presence of God, but they ignore the way to actually get in because I think they know that if the people who they want to come won't really go in because they have unbelief. That when the people who they want to come and they want to come to know the presence of God, see how they actually come into the presence of God, that they're not going to come in because they don't believe, oh, I have to sing a song like that, or you're going to actually teach me the Bible, or you're going to, no one wants to hear the Bible, right? Well, these are the things that we enter into the presence of God with, that the word of God is not going forth. How can we enter into his presence if we don't hear what he has to say? Because God wants us all to go further in. Whether we're opposed to God or whether we're on his side, so to speak, we all need Jesus and he wants us all to be saved. And this church experience, I I hate using that word because I think it's used in, in certain ways that, I don't know, it can be strange, but the church experience should have similar elements, I believe, to the tabernacle, right? I'm not saying it needs to be about the ritual of the doing like it was done in the tabernacle. Ritual, tradition can be good. At Christmas we have traditions that we do in the house, but and my kids love it, and I love it. But it's not about the doing of the tradition. It's not about the doing of the ritual. It's about what those things actually mean and what they're actually about. Because it's about going all the way in, all the way in to meet with God ourselves. Like I said, the outer courts, you deal with sin, you're cleansed, the holy place. There's prayer, there's fellowship. Remember that bread there that symbolized that God wanted to meet with the people? We see Jesus all the time eating with everybody, right? That God wants to spend that intimate time with us and just hang out with us. But then there's that most holy place, place, that presence of God, where there's manna, the spiritual food from heaven, the budding staff, uh, the fulfilled law, the mercy seat, and ultimately the Shekinah glory of God would come down and rest over the ark. And this was the most intimate place that God ministers to us face to face. That no one else can see or hear, just like no one else could see or hear what was said to the priest, but when he came out, he would share it. But that's what God wants to minister to us, that God wants to sit on the throne of your heart. He wants to speak to you. He wants his presence, his Holy Spirit to fill you and minister to you in that secret place that only he can see and only we can see. And everything about the church should be about getting us to enter into that most holy place with Jesus, to meet with him ourselves. We can do that in our corporate worship, like hopefully we did today. We can do that hopefully now in the teaching and reading of his word. And it should be that the opening of the veil in some ways is that invitation to go and talk with God ourselves. To hear what he would say to our hearts, both personally, individually, and also corporately together as a group of believers. Because he made the way for us to enter in. That veil was torn in Matthew 27, 50 through 54. I'll read just the first part of that. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That picture, the veil was torn from top to bottom. This was a thick veil. I don't even know if Hulk Hogan could have ripped it apart. But God shredded it from the top. He said, when Jesus made that ultimate sacrifice, there's no reason why you can't enter into my presence anymore. There's no reason why everybody can't come to me on a one-on-one basis not that we don't need the church not that we don't need uh spiritual leaders so to speak right we all need to we all need that that's why the church was instituted but he says you don't have a barrier to come to me anymore your sin has been dealt with at the cross i've accepted the ultimate sacrifice of my son jesus just come to me come spend time with me that god made the way we didn't make the way the sacrifice has never added up to enough It was the sacrifice of Jesus and God opening that door to us. Because that veil of the most holy place again was toward top to bottom when Jesus died. And the way in was easy now. You didn't have to be a member of the Levites. You didn't have to be the high priest selected that year. You didn't have to go through all these ordinances. And it didn't require even on that one day of year, that day of atonement, that we live in the day of atonement, that our sins have been dealt with. We can enter in freely whenever we want. The question is, do we want to? Or John four twenty through 24 says, uh, Jesus is talking to the woman in Samaria. He says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour is coming, he says a little bit later. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Like God is seeking people to worship him. He's saying, I've opened the door. Will you come in and worship me? Will you come in and spend time with your Maker? He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That in order to worship God, it meant that we must come to him with the spiritual things of God, with his Holy Spirit, and we must come to him with the truth of his word, with what God says. We don't come to him with what we think God is. We don't come to him with what our prescribed way of worship is. Just like with a tabernacle, is very ordinance, it's a certain size, certain length, certain material, certain placement. The same way when it comes to the things of God, we must come to him in the way that he wants us to come to him. And that's through Jesus. Because we can't conjure it up. We can't make the things of God happen. As exciting as we want it to be, as emotional or whatever else that goes along with it, we can't make up our own way to God. That Jesus is the only way to God. You know, no matter how good the music is. I had a a pastor friend in New York who wasn't from New York, but he used to lead at a worship school and teach kids uh, you know, how to grow up and lead worship and write worship songs. Um, and a lot of it was good, but some of it, you know, is very methodical. It's very much, you can write these keys and this progression and these chords and it'll, it'll, it'll stir an emotion. Now those things are good. It's obviously important to learn how to play an instrument well and things that work, work. But there's definitely room there where someone could write a song that stirs up an emotion, but maybe it's not the God's spirit in it. Maybe it's just a good, maybe it's just a well-written music, but it's not really worshiping God. Or maybe the lyrics themselves aren't really there. Or even then, if you have a really engaging preacher, someone who, who looks good, someone who smells good, someone who's got it all together, someone whose words are perfect and has studied and gone to seminary, well, you could have two people look exactly the same like that. And one person could be serving the Lord and the other person could be serving Well, anything but the Lord. Because it doesn't matter how engaging the preacher is, right? Paul said, I'd rather speak with a few words. Uh, The disciples when uh, in Acts, when people came to faith, they said, these guys are just fishermen. Like, how do they know these things? Paul said, I'd rather speak with simple words. It's the eloquent words of men and the wisdom of man. is nothing in God's kingdom. God doesn't need an eloquent speaker to bring someone to him. And again, it doesn't matter how friendly and inviting the atmosphere is. I mean, to be honest, the, sometimes the, 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 the path to hell is very friendly and inviting. Come on in. Everybody's welcome. You can come here and do whatever you want. Well, the church shouldn't be that way. Because if it's not God's spirit, it's not God's leading, and it's not done in the light of God's word, ultimately it's fruitless. At its best, it's just a system of works trying to reach God. But really, I think somehow it's attempting to go in by another way trying to reach God by some other way that we've concocted. In John 10, uh, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter in the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. That the only way to God is through Jesus. And the only way to Jesus is by hearing his word and and coming to faith in that. And that there are people out there who would try and... You know, the Bible says in the last days there will be itching ears. That there will be preachers and systems and religions that go out there just trying to tell people what they want to hear to gain followers. And that's not the way that Jesus works. That's not the way God works. God wants more for us than that. And again... If this is the only time we meet, if we meet for six months, I don't know. But our goal, our desire is that you would go where you feel most led, where you're most fed. That when you go to church, when you go to spend time with God, wherever it is, whatever name is on the door, however big or small it is, that when you go there, you hear from God you sense that it wasn't just the words of the pastor it wasn't just the music of the musicians it wasn't just the friendliness of the people or the other ministries that are there but then when you're there you hear the voice of god speak to your heart because there's two two ways that god can speak to us in a way uh, at least through his word there's logos and rhema right logos is that written word of god thou shalt not steal God, what's the answer for me? Do I no? Don't steal. Put that Snickers bar back. Whatever the question is, there. The other one is Raymond. What God will speak to you about your specific situation in that word, and I believe that there will be both for the individual and the church in every message. You know, maybe maybe it's not every week, but hopefully every week, ideally every week when you come. As the pastor teaches, you're going to get a word for your heart. You've been praying about something, something's been bothering you. Whatever's going on, God is going to minister to you about that in it. Or even just give you the encouragement to go on. But you know that it came from the Lord. But then it's also for the church too. That somehow in the message, the pastor's not necessarily looking for it. He'll be teaching through Leviticus. And God will still give a message for the church body there as well. That God will use his word, will use his people to speak to his people. Because that's God's goal. Is that not that we would come and hear, especially not me, but that God, we would come and hear God's voice when we come to the Word. That we would hear Him and know Him better and go home and go out to the world, sent out, ready to, to spread His Word. You know, what's at the heart of what's being taught? You know, I can think that there's a certain heart of what's being taught, but you guys are going to really hear what the actual thing is being taught. I, I, I remember one time being in church and, and hearing someone give a message and I don't think they meant anything bad by it, but as they shared, I just got this grief in me. Like they're really just, and, I'm, and we all have bad days, right? So I can't really necessarily hold it against them, but it just sounded like it was just like really beating the sheep. It wasn't this word of encouragement for them in the situation that they were going through. And we've all, you know, none of us are perfect, right? But overall, is that, is that word there? Is it a man's guilt trips? Is it works or is it following your own heart? as the world might say? Or is there really a word from God there that you just walk away going, yeah, you know, I really got fed by that. And the second area we'll look at, the second point is the church. Well, God wants us to meet with him and God wants us to meet with him corporately. Well, that happens in the church. And when was the church itself born? Well, it was born in Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus was crucified. The seventh week, it was a grateful recognition of the harvest. But the church born on Pentecost birthed the church age, the time of Pentecost to the time of the rapture, that this is the time when God said, I'm going to now use the church by my spirit to spread my word. And we see that after the rapture and tribulation that God uses other methods, he brings Israel back into the picture, there's angels flying around, but we live in this age of grace that when Jesus died and rose again to the day that he comes back for his church, we live in an age of grace where we can enter in freely, where we are free to worship God in spirit and truth. The gospel can go out. People of all nations, tribes, and tongues can be forgiven and restored and brought to Him. But that age is going to come to close at some time. Then the tribulation, as we read Revelation, see that, the, that when you give your life to, to Christ, the real evidence in a sense, is that you almost get martyred for it, that you're willing to give your life for it. I don't know that the, the church down the street, if they give an altar call and say, well, after you give an altar call, there's a group of Muslims, or there's a group of whoever outside that want to cut your head off, are you still going to accept Jesus? I don't know how many people would accept Jesus. I might even be worried myself, like, is there a secret way out the back? You know, uh, Curtis, how much ammo you have on you today? You know, I don't know what I'd be feeling in that sense. But we live in this age of grace where it's free for us to enter in. And Acts 2, 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We see that from this moment forward, we see a distinct difference in the believers. They go from drawing straws to try and pick another apostle. We see that that doesn't work. That God was working and He picked Paul. That their spiritual decisions went from being afraid of everyone, of hiding, to now that they're full of the Spirit, they open the doors and they preach the gospel, and thousands get saved. And the world is changed right them. And they're no longer afraid to be martyrs. And the church—it's not a location. It's not a building. It's not a business or organization. What do you need, but <laughs> the church really is every believer individually coming together with other believers corporately with Jesus as our foundation. It doesn't matter what the building is. It doesn't matter what the building looks like. It doesn't matter necessarily the denomination. Right? You know, we, we that's a whole other message to talk about that sort of thing. But really, Psalm 118, 22 tells us that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And other parts of Scripture, it says that if we fall on him, we will be broken. But if he falls on us, we'll, we'll be pulverized. That we need to fall and be broken on the, the stone of Jesus. but That he's our foundation. That Jesus and his work and who he is and the truth about him and his word is the foundation to everything we do. It's the foundation to our life. It's also the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone he's the foundation block he's not the top i mean he is but he's everything but he's also the bottom that he's that firm foundation for us first peter 2 4 through 5 says coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ that when we come to god God makes us a living stone, just like he's a living stone. And we come together and God builds a living house, a living temple for him to dwell in. Us individually, but us corporately. It's not about a tabernacle. It's not about a building. It's not about an organization. It's not about a denomination. It's about his people being built together in him as one. Because we're all kings and priests, the Bible says. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. Jesus. That there are roles in the church, absolutely. That there are gifts, there are callings, there's leadership, right? That's all important. But we don't need to go through anyone else to get to God anymore other than Jesus. Everyone else, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Ephesians 4, 15-16 says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That the things the church do together, does together, the point of the church is to grow us together, to grow us in Jesus, and help each of us grow in him, to build each other to edifying each other, build each other up. Oh, you need a little mortar here. Or, oh, you need an extra brick here in your life. Or, oh, you're going through this or that. That we would build each other up. It's not just a destination on Sunday to go to. It's not just a club or an event. But it's a temple. A temple of God that we are all a part of. And we're to be built up together. Not dead, but resurrected. Now, there's plenty of dead churches out there that have... All the things going on on the outside may even have lots of activities or even have lots of people. But I say to you, the church is dead. That the Spirit of God is not at work in there. That it's all a show. It's all on the outside. There's not an actual move of God going on there. Or worse, it's just a shell. It's just religion. It's just going through the motions. That's not what God wants for us. There's so much to unpack there. We certainly don't have time But Acts 7, 48-50 says, uh, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Do you think God really wants us to build something out of concrete and steel? When he made the sun? When he made hydrogen atoms? Do you think he's really interested in a building made out of wood, hay, and straw? (laughs) No, he's not. He wants to find his rest in each of us. And God is the one who builds the church. We can meet. We can organize. We can do. But if God is not the one leading it, if God is not the one who says, this is where I want you to be, it's just a shell. It's a cheap imitation. And it's going to lack all the power and authority increase and in fruit that only God can bring. So we can't conjure it up. Remember in Acts, the, uh, Simon the sorcerer said, Hey, 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 what do I got to do? How much money do I got to give you to get this gift? Like, he saw the things of God, but he didn't understand them. And he thought he could pay for them. And he was sorely rebuked for it. That we can't do these things. I can, no matter how hard I preach, no matter how hard I try and convince, if God's Spirit is not at work in your heart and in, amongst us, it's going to bear no fruit. Well, what does it look like? Well, the Bible talks about in Revelation seven lampstands, and we even saw that in the menorah, there's seven candles. We see the specific churches in their day and age, the church ages in Revelation. And again, this is another huge study to unpack, which we're not going to do today. But I think to some degree, it's a litmus test for individual churches, no matter what denomination or day and age or location they're in. That as we look at the seven lampstands, you can see that God had rebukes for some, God had encouragement for others, and that no church is perfect. I'm not saying that, that there's a perfect church out there. It's obvious that's not. God even said that his kingdom would be a mustard seed that grows into this unruly tree where the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And if you know the scripture, you know that that's not a good picture. The mustard seed's not supposed to grow that big. Birds of the air always represent sin and evil and these things come and nest themselves in there. But somehow God has died for his church. That God in Revelation walks amongst the seven lampstands and he's at work amongst them. And some of them, I don't know if they're even saved. You know location, money, power, influence, nationality, time period can all affect how the church looks on the outside, right? The clothes we wear are probably different than they were 30 years ago, although the stuff that kids wear 30 years ago are the things that are coming back now, right? The church is going to look different based on on the from the outside, based on where it is and what it has, but it shouldn't be different on the inside. It shouldn't be different in how it actually Functions, you know. There's this saying about having two hands, right? On one hand, you hold tight to doctrine and the truth of scriptures, but the other hand is your methods, right? And so, a method that might work here, you might not work somewhere else. A stop, you know. There's different things that we can do as long as they're not against scripture, as long as they're in line with scripture and don't get in the way of scripture. It's fine. It's okay. You know. There's think about the church in China or the church here, right? styles of music. But there's five things that are important in the church and the way it works. And these five things are important both for us and for the church itself. And they are uh, the five spokes. It's teaching or the word. It's evangelism or outreach, right? It's fellowship, prayer, and worship. That if these five things are going on in the church, the church, no matter how many problems it has, at its core, we'll be on the right track. At its core, we'll keep moving forward, right? If you have a flat tire on your car where uh, every side is inflated by one, it's going to you know, be a little rough. You're going to feel a little bump. It's going to be out of balance. And the same thing with our lives. Our lives will be healthy if, if we're in the Word. If we're telling others about God, it doesn't mean you need to be a street evangelist, maybe. But are you sharing... With, uh, once a year, whatever it is, right? You know, say that the Dead Sea is dead because everything flows into it and nothing flows out. Is God flowing out of your life? Is there fellowship when you're around other believers? Do you want to be around other believers? That's a big deal, but wanting to be around them. As imperfect as they are, we should still want to be around them. They should still naturally say, oh man, I love hanging out with another believer. If we would rather hang out with the world, there's probably two problems there. One, I feel bad for you because I wonder what kind of Christians you hung out with that made you feel that way. And two, well, why don't you have fellowship with the people who are going the same place that you're going? Then there should be prayer and worship. And if these things are not in our lives, it's not a a thing of works. You haven't been praying, you haven't been worshiping, you haven't been fellowshipping. What's wrong with you? No. But sincerely, what's wrong with us? Is there something wrong? Because if these things aren't happening, there is something wrong in our heart. We've forgotten that God has died for us. We've forgotten that God has wanted and made a way for us to come to Him freely and we should want to come to him. I was talking to my kids about shame the other night, that shame is not a thing that we should get rid of, but shame is a thing that we should bring to God and let it draw us to God and let him wash it away. The world would say, don't feel shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yes, there is something to be ashamed of, but God can deal with that. And so there's things in our life that are keeping us from him. Know that God doesn't want those things there. That God wants to deal with those things that he could bless you. That's all God wants to do when you come, when you come to him. He wants to bless you. My kids come to me. I don't necessarily want to scold them. I hate having to scold them, but I have to. I would rather them just come to me and say, oh, you know, here's an ice cream cone, right? I'd rather bless them. But these things cannot be separated from a believer's life and the church's life. That it might be the chicken or the egg, the corporate church should encourage, encourage these things, and the believer's life should bring it into the church. You know, I don't know how that works, but it's a system that works together, and it should play out together to fulfill these things. And it's been said that you can't take someone farther than you've gone yourself. If these things don't exist in the leadership, they probably won't exist in the church. Or they won't exist in the way that they should in the church. Because the church's function is an extension of the believer's personal lives. But the church cannot function without the life of the believer being right. That There's a, a, a book I read uh, years ago about Dangerous Calling by uh, Paul Tripp, I believe his name is, about the need for the pastor to be a part of the body, And we've gotten away from that where we think that the leadership is somehow separate and it, all sorts of things begin to happen when that happens because the leadership is not separate. We get this idea that just because we're sitting in a seat and they're standing up there, that somehow they're closer to God than, than we are or that they're the only ones who God has called. And maybe God hasn't called you to be a pastor. Maybe God hasn't called you to be a worship leader, but maybe he's called you to be a missionary at work. Maybe his calling, and I, I say maybe, But he has. He's called us all to do these things. He's called us all to be a witness at home. But I think you get what I'm saying, that God wants us all to be the church together. And number three, the problem. The problem is, I believe, we've lost sight of what it really means to be a believer. I know this happens in my life. And by extension, what it really means to be the church. Because if if we've forgotten what it means to have that personal relationship with Jesus, well, then how are we going to bring that into the church setting? Right? And it's not that You know, we can't depend on others to lead us there. Absolutely. We're here to encourage each other. When one person hurts, another person should uh, be sorrowful with them, so to speak. But this is a quote from Alistair Begg. And he says, Idolatry is turning a gift of God into a God. It's turning a good thing into the ultimate thing. It's deifying something to enjoy into an object of worship. I believe this happens in church. The worship gets to be so good or the pastor is so engaging or whatever it is about the church that we like is so good that we begin to deify that and we end up going for that and we miss God. And then we get so far down the line when that, the, when the worship isn't good anymore and suddenly we're like, oh, we just complained the whole time because the worship was bad or that the, the pastor just had a bad day and the teaching was bad like this morning. And you just say, man, I don't know, because what are we really coming for? Are we coming to be entertained? Are we coming to have our ears tickled, so to speak? Or are we coming to really hear from God and serve others and serve God in it? Not that we shouldn't go to church and expect to receive too. And that's okay, especially if you're new, go and just receive and receive and receive. But I believe we get off track when we begin to worship the things of God versus actually worshiping God. And I think that really happens because there's some sin that gets in the way and it becomes easier for us to just do the things and actually sit down and say, God, what do you want to do? Because whatever it is, it's not about feeling good when you come to church. Yeah, You spend time with God, you're going to feel good. Even if he beats you up and says, you got to go home and apologize to your wife, right? Uh, is that me? Uh, I'm a homerade. Even if he has a hard thing to say to you, you're going to feel good about it when you walk away. Hopefully, you're not going to be like the rich young ruler who walks away sorrowful, right? I think sometimes we... It's easier to fall into that thing of worshiping the things because we know it's going to cost us something to actually step out and go where God wants us to go. We know something that needs to be fixed in us or left behind or start doing, and we don't want to deal with that just yet. We just kind of want to go check the box for the day and go home and watch the race when it's on later today. But believe me, it's not about doing. That is clear throughout all of scripture, God could care less about our doing They come to him and say, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. And he goes, depart from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. Hold on a second. People were actually able to cast out demons in Jesus' name and they didn't know God at all and they're not going to heaven. How does that work? Does Satan go, okay, I'm going to let this be. I don't know how that works. But I know that it works because I know that they didn't know God. I know that they missed the boat. Jesus says, you search the scriptures daily, but you've missed me that when we come to the scriptures, it's to see Jesus. Because God would rather 10 people earnestly meet with him, I believe, than 10,000 go to a concert and just hear music with his name in it, if they haven't actually encountered him there. I'm not to say that in three minutes, Jesus is going to walk through the door, and you're going to see him face to face, and you're going to fall down on the floor, whatever it is, right? But that your heart of hearts is going to encounter the heart of God, that his spirit is going to speak to your spirit, and revive you, and resurrect you, and encounter you, and maybe you'll have a vision. Maybe you will. I mean, when I got saved, I was in my mom in my room in my mom's house in the middle of the night, 2003. I was broken. I'd been sinning, and I sensed God's presence was there. I didn't like physically see him, but I knew he was there, and it changed me. And what he what he what he did for me changed me. That I knew that I was finally forgiven. And again, it's not to say that big things are bad things because they're not. The first church became a megachurch overnight. Thousands of people get saved when, when Peter goes out and preaches. How you, imagine a thousand people showed up right now. We would have no idea what to do with it. I don't even have no idea when you guys show up at my house. I'm like, God bless them because you got to do something. right? But imagine a thousand people showed up right now. All our neighbors, all our friends, all our coworkers showed up and said, we need Jesus. Well, guess what? A God, work of God's spirit would do that. That there's no amount of planning we could do to do that, but God would get it done. But the minute we turn from God to idols, we turn to things to fill the gap of God in our lives and our worship, and it's obvious. You know, people have uh, confessed before that you know that something was going on in their life, or they hadn't been spending time with God, and it's the same way with me. When I haven't been spending time with God, it's obvious. But it's obvious, it's, like, I don't, it's almost like I don't even need you to tell me because I can tell. Not that I'm sitting here trying to read your email or whatever, but sincerely, I don't, I don't know for sure. But sometimes you can tell, right? Just ask my wife, she can tell. <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> but the solution, and I know we're getting close to the end here, I'm gonna try and get through. Uh, but the solution, number four, the solution always starts, I believe, with simple repentance. If my people were called by my name would pray and humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. Mm-hmm. Our land needs healing, but it's got to start from the church. Can't expect Nancy, well, she's gone, I guess, but you can't expect Tamala Harris or somebody else to repent for the nation. She has no clue. I mean, I won't get to politics, but I think she has no clue about a lot of things. But sincerely, we should have a clue. The people of God should have a clue and should pray for our leaders and ask that God would repent and sometimes maybe even break their teeth. But it starts from repentance. It starts with us. If we want the church to change, we need to change. I hate the saying, but that saying about be the change you want to see in the world or whatever it is. If we want to see the church change, well, we got to stop pointing fingers. We got to stop let God take the log out of our own eye before we can help our brother take the speck out of his eye, Right? My friend, Pastor Tony in New York, he's in heaven now. I can't wait to go there with him. But he had a church in upstate New York, and uh, they were doing a lot of good things, a lot of busy things. It wasn't a giant church, but was—you know there were people there. And he just felt led, we're just going to take everything off the calendar. We're just going to wipe the whole calendar. And this is going into summary. You think you'd want to have more things and get more people to come in that. But he felt led to wipe it off the calendar. They spent a season and prayed, and God birthed this outreach out of them that reached the community that was a witness to the town. I won't go on all into it now, but I want to say that they, they knew from what the Lord was leading them to do that God wanted to do something bigger and better than they could ever think about or come up with on their own. And it only happened by putting away those things that they knew were good and seeking God for the thing that was better. Number one, it's our turning our own hearts back to Him and His Word like Josiah when they found the Word and they read it. Imagine if I read the, the first five books of the Bible this morning. and We all had to stand for it, right? That's what they did because they've forgotten God's word. And the church should be about God's word. The church, if the church you go to and I go to does not exalt God's word, I don't care how nice they are. I don't care anything else. I don't care how much time the pastor spends with you if it doesn't feed you the word, if it doesn't lead you to the word, well then what's the point? What's the point? If we don't want to know what God says, well it's like if I never wanted to talk to my wife, right, like would I really love her? Would I really be spending time with her? It was you know, if I think you get what I'm going there. And the word goes out and we have types of soil in our heart. We have uh, the, the word goes out and it goes by the wayside and the birds come and get it. The enemy devours it. The stony ground, uh, it springs up right away, but it scorched and died. The thorns, you know, the soil may have been good, but the cares of life choked it out. And then the good ground that it actually yielded crops out of the ground. And when the seed of the word goes out, it should return. And that's when it, what's going to cause us to grow. And that's what's going to cause the church to grow, that the seed of the word has to go out and find hearts to dwell in, to grow up in. I ask a hard question this morning. Has your life ever truly changed direction since coming to Jesus, since hearing the word? That hearing comes by faith and faith by the word of God, right? And if it hasn't ever changed, was Jesus just an add-on? Was he a dessert on your menu order? Or is he really the foundation, the cornerstone for your life? And the point is not to condemn us. The point is to say, man, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to follow God? Well, it means to change direction of my life. That my life is not my own. It was bought at a price. I'm going to go and I'm going to be about the things that are of God. And God help me do them because I can't do them on my own the point is that we may have rocky soil, but God wants to make us good soil. There may be thorns in our life, but God wants to come in and prune those things out of us. He wants us to go deeper. And this is a hard saying from A.W. Tozer. And I'm going to try and close real soon here, guys. He says, if your Christian conversion did not reverse the direction of your life, I don't care if you're a good person or a bad person, so to speak. If it did not transform it, then you are not converted at all. That's what conversion is. Changed, right? You are simply a victim of the accept Jesus heresy, says. And I get it. We want people to come to faith, right? And I get giving an altar call. I get. I love the ministries like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie, these other guys who go out and share the gospel in that, in that matter. And you can't really control what someone does with their heart, right? But for ourselves, if we can look to ourselves and say, man, was there a day when God changed me? For me, that was November 13th, 2003. I knew that I had prayed before that. I had grown up in the church before that. But that was that night that I was crying out to the Lord and I think I actually prayed and meant at that time and wanted to change. And he was there. And he was there all those other times. I think he was waiting for me to be ready. Ready to actually go a different way. So number two is pursuing holiness. Getting rid of those idols, the put-offs and put-ons that we read in the epistles. That after that point, there were things that God said he took away. That I didn't have to do anything about it. He just took them away. I had no desire to do them anymore. And there are other things that I had to put off, and I still have to put off. That is there a desire to pursue holiness in our life? That are we basing our decisions on the Word of God and prayer? Then when it comes to matters in life, and you can be as neurotic in me, and especially when I was really saved, like, Lord, what toothpaste do I use? <laughs> right? And I had to find a different toothpaste because it was giving me canker sores. I can only use arm and hammer. I know, it's gross. But the point is, is that as little as the decision is, are we seeking God to lead it in us? Are we, are we comfortable making big decisions in life without asking God to give us direction in them? Well, we shouldn't be, and that might just be a thing of maturity, right? But the point is, is that a spreadsheet is not going to give us the Spirit of God. The pros and cons are not going to weigh out the right thing for us to do, is what is God speaking us to do? And back to the church, the things that happen in church, in your devotional life, maybe you're listening on the radio Sunday morning, God's going to use them all to work together to speak the same thing to you. One more thing from Corey Boom. She says, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Spare tire. Sometimes we get saved and we put away bad things, but we haven't moved on to the best things. And that's the point, is that God wants you to experience more of Him, to know Him better, to have a better, an abundant Christian life. Again, I always say, not to have the Ferrari as much as I want a Ferrari or a Corvette, please watch. But sincerely, that even if I never get the Corvette, that my life would be fun and fulfilled and exciting way more than some Chevy product that the exhaust header bolts are going to rust on, right? That my life is going to be full of fun in him, no matter what else comes my way. I remember, as we go into the last section, I remember getting coming to the Lord, getting saved, going to church, and then some friends invited me over to their house, or young people, and we worshiped in the basement and we were worshiping. And I I understood singing to God, and my heart was singing to God, but I had never really experienced it like this before. And it wasn't about the doing. It wasn't about the basement or the specific song or that our hands were raised. The point was that we were all together worshiping God from heart, and we were free in it to sing to Him and praise Him. I remember going, man, I can remember getting around with my friends and doing drugs, and it was nothing like this. We wanted this, and this is so much better. This is so much, it didn't, destroy our lives it made our lives better and number five the vision two quotes here from one from pastor richard Semino in california he says vision will birth vision in other people and there's a this is a from a military guy i was listening to i forget his name um, but he says novices argue tactics professionals argue logistics that man when god gives us a vision is for us to pursue and share that others whether they go along with our vision or not, that God would birth a vision in them for how they're to, to follow him. And then when it comes to tactics, we don't need to argue over are drums allowed in church or not. We can have those conversations, but the important professional thing to argue there is when we worship, are we brought into the presence of God and we are actually worshiping him and not the style, not the theme, not how we feel, right? Right. Ecclesia is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly united in one body. That the church, and that's the vision, is believers being believers together. That it's not just Sunday. It's all the time. And it's not that we have to meet every day of the week, but that we feel free to. We want to. We want to meet out for tea and coffee. We want to go out shooting or hunting. We want to do this. You've got a problem. Oh, I'll come over and help you fix it. I, I don't know that I've ever really wanted to help anyone move in my life, but man, when the church needs someone to help to move, People just showed up left and right. It was like, never had to pay for a mover. And then finally, when I left the state, I'm like, all right, I got to do this by myself now, but I've got all the experience I need, right? But we're not going to forsake that. Hebrews says not to forsake the gathering together of believers. I know I've gone long this morning, but what I want you to get this morning, and I hope it's the Lord's heart, I want you to get that, man, the church is more than just checking your box. The church is not just a destination. I think we all know this, but I think we all need to hear it sometimes. That the church is not to be divided either, right? That there's things that some believers might say or do or preach that clearly is against Scripture. And yes, we need to have a holy division from that. Not that we hate them, but that, man, like, God's clear about these things, and I'm not to have anything to do with them, and you shouldn't either, so I'm going to go another way. But when it comes to the church where maybe they just do it a little bit differently, maybe they just... Say it a little differently. Maybe they wear a suit and you don't even own a suit like me, right? Like That doesn't matter. Do they love Jesus? Do they want to follow Jesus? Do they want the scripture to go out? Do they want people to be saved, right? Then, then we can be united in those things. But again, if God's not doing it, it's not going to happen. There's a saying where God guides, God provides. Because we can't make it happen. We can't make a real work of God happen. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for a real work of God to happen in my life, in my family's life, in my community, in my neighborhood. I was, and I'm too afraid and, and timid or whatever you want to say, but I would love for my entire neighborhood to wake up and want to get up and worship God, whether they come here or go down the street or wherever they go. Wouldn't that be amazing if Helena was, and I'm talking about like the reason why I call the podcast resurrection is that God wants to give us a resurrected life. Not just a revived life, not a on life support, here's an IV. We need that. But that our lives would be brand new. Our lives would be totally alive. And that's what God wants for his church, because that's the miracle of the church. I won't read the end of, well, let me read the end of Acts real for quick. Read. 40 through 47, and we'll close. It says, With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, um, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved if that's who gets added to the church the people are being saved right? granted we want our unsaved family and friends to come to church we want them to come hear the gospel it's a great ministry to invite people to church but the point of the church is to feed the church to build the church so the church from there might go out and do the things of God because the real miracle is that God wants to meet with us Whether it's at home, it's in the car, it's at Walmart when you're looking for the right toothpaste, that God wants to be with us. And that's the very opposite of religion, us trying to meet with him. If God wanted to be hidden, we couldn't find him, no matter what sort of hocus pocus we tried. And when we come to church, do we come to want Jesus? And I'm not saying any of us are perfect. Sometimes we just show up and we're just like, I know it's the right thing to do. I don't really feel like being here, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Like, that's that's still a good thing, right? I'm not trying to bring any condemnation for the bad days. In fact, we need him more on those days. Because God's here, he's there, he's been reaching out to us, and he's calling to us, and he's inviting us to enter into his presence. And so, God, this morning as we close your word, we pray that, God, that your word would go with us, that we would have entered into your presence, and that we can even now just know that you're with us, that whatever happens the rest of the day, the rest of the week, whether we go, we come here or whether we go somewhere else, whatever we do the God that we'd be following you because you're our shepherd and you're the one that uh, has done everything for us so you're the only one we want to be with and wherever you are, that's where we want to be. So God bless your people. let your word go forth and we ask in Jesus name. Amen so may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you and thanks for hanging on a little bit longer this morning. There is a vineyard. soul With all our troubles left behind and all we drink first light until